Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. I want to ask if you would to take God's word and open it with me once again to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. If you're here with us for the very first time today, we have been in the sermon series all throughout the summer as we've been studying the Good Shepherd. And we've been reminded that Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Jesus said in John chapter 10 that he came to give life and he came to give it abundantly. He alone is the Good Shepherd and the Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In Psalm 23, in the Old Testament, we have David. David, of course, was himself a shepherd. He had tended to and raised sheep. In addition to that, David was often referred to as the shepherd king of Israel. But even David, a shepherd, knew there's only one good shepherd, and that good shepherd is the Lord himself. So throughout Psalm 23, we have really been seeing David describe for us this journey, what it means to be a sheep under the care and management of the good shepherd. As David begins to describe for us the good shepherd and all the things that he does, he's led us through a journey through the seasons of life, through the seasons of a year, and he has shown us every step of the way that the good shepherd is good and he is faithful. Today we come to verse six as we close our sermon series where I want you to focus with me today on the good shepherd's promise. The good shepherd's promise. The good shepherd does not promise that the journey will be easy. The good shepherd does not promise that every day will be fun. The good shepherd does not promise that there won't be hardship and pain, hurts and loss along the way. But the good shepherd has a promise here that I believe will radically transform us is simply if we know him and trust him. So I want to ask you, if you're physically able to do so, will you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? We're going to read the entirety of Psalm 23, and then we'll close by coming back to verse 6. The Bible says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Verse six, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can we go back and read verse six aloud together and read it in unity with one voice? The text says this, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are the good shepherd. Help us to see so clearly and even anew and afresh today your goodness and your loving kindness in our life, and may it lead us to a place of deeper love and devotion to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The good shepherd's promise. I want to ask you a question this morning as we begin our study together, and that is this simple question. Have you ever been on a long journey away from home? Have you ever been on a long journey away 
from home. Now, long, of course, is relative. That might mean that you've taken a few days for some, but that might mean for some that you've taken a few weeks or maybe even longer. Of course, we've been going through the summertime here, and this is a time that is notorious for people to take vacations, to get out of town and get out of Dodge and change scenery. And the truth is we all enjoy those types of moments. Some of you right now think, man, I could use another vacation right now, okay? But we enjoy those things. We like kind of having a change of scenery and doing something new and adventurous. And, and even if it's just having a place to sit and relax and do nothing because we're always overwhelmed with other responsibilities, we look forward to those journeys at times away from home. And yet at the same time, once you've been on a journey, there is something warm, there is something invigorating, there is something refreshing and even exciting when we begin to set our mind and our focus towards home. Last summer, many of you know, my family and I, for the first time in 18 years of ministry, had the opportunity to experience a sabbatical. And, and, and it ended up being a little bit longer because we did get sick with COVID in the process. But in that, one of the things that we had the opportunity as a family to do was to travel. I'm not really sure why, but I've always had this grand idea in my mind of taking a road trip with my family across the country. Some of you, that sounds like a dream come true. To some of you, that sounds like your worst nightmare come true. But we were excited about it, and so, so we were blessed. We got into a big Sprinter van, and we literally made our way across the country. We went through Nashville, and then we went through San Antonio and Dallas area, and then we made our way to the Grand Canyon, and then we saw some friends in Phoenix, and then we made our way to San Diego, and literally you'll find anybody at San Diego in the middle of the seventh inning. We were eating a hot dog when all of a sudden I heard someone say, hey, pastor, and I turned around, and Travis Kelly was there making sure I was doing what I was supposed to do the former chairman of the deacons here at Crosslink. And so we fellowshiped together for some time together, he and his precious wife Stormy. But we made our way to San Diego, and then we made our way eventually to Yosemite, and then over to Yellowstone, and then we saw my sister-in-law in Colorado Springs, and then we saw friends in Kansas City. And a 35-day trip covered 9,000 miles. It was glorious. It was so cool seeing all that as a family. We finally made our way through West Virginia. We ended our trip at the time in Christiansburg on Manny's birthday as we were celebrating with some friends and enjoyed a meal. And finally, when that meal came to a close, we got in the vehicle and Heather said, it's time to get home. And, and, and as she did, now remember, we had enjoyed our trip and we were having all those conversations. Remember this and remember that. Remember that food. Remember that funny member, or memory. Dad, do you remember when you did this and you shouldn't? Like, Dad, do you remember all these? It was so fun. But there was something about that statement, it's time to get home, that excited us. It wasn't a drag. It wasn't a bore. We were excited because there was something about being home and being in our beds and being in the freedom of our house and being close to the people that we love and care about. There was something about it as we turned our focus towards home that made us excited and exuberant. And frankly, that last two hours, we couldn't get here fast enough. That's a bit of the tone that David uses in Psalm 23, verse 6, when he envisions the sheep who are being led by the good shepherd through all the seasons, through the valleys, even through the mountainside, from field to field as he's taking care of them. And now, summer's coming to a close. The warm weather is being left behind. The cold temperatures of fall are to come. Winter's just around the corner. And the good shepherd knows it's time to lead the sheep back home. 
It's with that mindset that David comes to this conclusion when he says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's pointing us towards the promise of home. As we look at this verse of scripture, I want us to see today three specific things about the good shepherd in this journey towards home. The first thing I want you to see this morning is the experience of the good shepherd's care. The experience of the good shepherd's care. If you have not listened to this series of messages, I want to encourage you to go back online and listen to every single one of the messages. Because in every verse and in every message and in every illustration, what we are reminded of is the constant care, the constant provision, the constant effort, the constant work, the constant compassion of the good shepherd who is tirelessly and mercifully working for his own glory and also for the good of his sheep. We understand today that shepherds are not lazy people. They are hard workers. It takes a lot of effort and energy in order for the sheep to be healthy. And of course, Jesus is the depiction here. He is the good shepherd who is constantly working for his glory and for our good. He is looking out for us as we belong to him. So clear is the effort of the shepherd in view that this past week I had to call one of our brothers here in the church about a ministry situation at the fairgrounds and an opportunity and We spoke on the phone, and he said, hey, well, you got an extra minute? I said, sure. He said, man, he said, I want to tell you two things about this sermon series, two things that I have just become absolutely convinced of as we've studied the 23rd Psalm. I said, okay, well, what is that? He said, one, I am absolutely convinced I never want to raise sheep. (laughs) I laughed because what he was saying was, it's a lot of work, and it's a lot of stuff that's not glamorous and glorious, and frankly, I don't want to do that. Then after I got done laughing, he said, no, but seriously, the second thing is that it's really reminded me of how good our shepherd is. What he was saying is he's recognizing, listen, it's a wonderful thing to experience the good shepherd's care. That's what's in view here when David says, surely goodness and mercy. Please understand that word surely is a word of certainty. It's not a hope so. Maybe so, think so, I, ho- I want so. No, it's a word of surely. What David is saying is, listen, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you are following him as a sheep under his care and under his management, if you belong to Jesus, you can know the goodness and loving kindness of the Lord. That's what's in view here as you think about the good shepherd's care. What do the sheep in the good shepherd's care experience? First off, they experience the goodness of the Lord. The word goodness here is describing the good ways of the Lord. Now, somebody would say, well, pastor, it's not always good. Somebody would say, well, pastor, it's not always easy. It's not always a mountain. It's not always a, a happy, joyful, excited sheep. There are times that it's, it's hard and it struggles and it's time that there's suffering. There's times we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's exactly right. But David understood something. As David is pinning these words about the certainty of the goodness of the Lord. David is not a young man. He's not inexperienced. This is not a statement of ignorance. This is a statement of a man who is older in his life, and he's looking back over his life. He's looking at the mountains and the valleys. He's looking at the highs and the lows. He's looking at the the beautiful and the ugly. He's looking at it all, and yet in the midst of it all, he's reminded that the goodness of God, the good ways of the Lord, have been present every step of the way. You don't know what the goodness of God looks like? Here's what you do. You go and look at the life of Jesus. What are his good ways? How are they described? How do we experience them in the context of Scripture? I love the fact when you think about Jesus in his life in Acts chapter 10, 
Peter, the apostle, is describing the life of Jesus in a very simple summary way. And here's what he says in Acts 10, verses 38 through 39. He says, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. Listen, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We're witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Peter literally says, if you look at Jesus' life, everything that he did, you could summarize it in one key way. He went about doing good. What did his good ways look like? Please understand, his good ways are seen in the way that Jesus showed kindness and compassion to those in need. Like the woman with the blood disease, like the lame man at the pool, like the blind man without hope. Every single time, Jesus took time for them and he showed his care and compassion and he even brought healing to them. To those who had sinned, like the woman at the well who had been married five times and now was currently living with her boyfriend and she still wasn't committed in that context. Even to the woman who was caught in adultery and every single time, Jesus showed compassion. He called them to repentance. He called them to a life change and he showed his goodness to them. To those who are rejected by society, the lepers, the demoniacs, that people were afraid of, people didn't know what to do with, they ostracized them, they pushed them away, and yet Jesus intentionally would go for them, and he would deliver them from the things that held them bound, even to those who were often hated and despised, like Zacchaeus or Matthew, the IRS, I mean the tax collectors. (laughs) Jesus would go to them and call them and show them great compassion and mercy. These are all evidences of the goodness of the Lord, how he went about doing good, caring for others in need. It is but a powerful reminder to us that there is no need you have, there is no situation you face, there's not even a sin that you will commit, that God shuns you from. The reality is he shows you kindness and he shows you goodness and he calls you to a place of repentance and deliverance in him. Fact is, David looks over his life and he says, I've experienced the goodness of the Lord. But not only experienced the goodness of the Lord, he experienced the loving kindness of the Lord. This word that's used here in Psalm 23, verse 6, is a word that is often debated. In fact, if you, I have been asked probably more of reading the King James, for example, it says the word mercies. Then there are other English translations that will simply say the word love. What the Hebrew word has in mind here, frankly, are simply unearned blessings that are the result of God's love. In other words, when the, when the writers of the Old Testament, when, the, when it was put in Hebrews to be translated in English, it just used a word that described the love of God and the benefits that come from knowing the love of God. In other words, it's speaking of the loving kindness, the loving mercies, the unearned blessings of God. It's a depiction of the unconditional, unfailing, unwavering love of God and the benefits and blessings that are experienced to all who accept his love. David here is an older man, and he acknowledges that he hasn't just experienced the goodness of God. When he says the loving kindness of God, he is indicating to us that he understands that all of this goodness, all of this kindness, all of these blessings that he's experienced are completely undeserved. This is not David, the older man, saying, But God, look at all that I've done for you. God, I'm a king. God, look at all the ways that I've served you. Look at all the people that I've defeated for you. Look at all the ways that I've sang to you. Look at all, no, no, no. He recognizes that every blessing he has received has been because of the unearned mercy and love that God has poured out in his life. David understood what it meant to experience both the goodness and the loving kindness 
of the Lord, so much so that in the book of Psalms, this Hebrew word that we often translate mercies or love or loving kindness, it's actually used 126 times in the book of Psalms alone. Go read Psalm 36 this week, and you'll find every single verse. It's the loving kindness. It's the loving kindness. It's the loving kindness of the Lord. So clear was this David's focus that Psalm 26 says it this way. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. What he's saying is this, God, it doesn't matter where I've been. It doesn't matter what I accomplished. It doesn't matter how other people look to me. It is your mercy that is at the forefront of my mind. It is the focus of my life. David would say that, then he would include in Psalm 36, verse 5, your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. This past Friday night, there was a group of men that I had the opportunity to fellowship with, and we were on the side of a mountain, and we had a bonfire going, and we had a time of prayer together, and as the sun was going down, you could see, I mean, the entire valley before us, and you could see the stars as far as the eye could see, and literally as we got done praying, somebody joked, who turned the light on? Because all of a sudden, the sturgeon moon, I'd never even heard of that before until Friday, the sturgeon moon appeared, and it was absolutely beautiful. And there was something in that moment as you're looking into the heavens that you realize how vast and how great God is. And yet in the light of it, creation, we are so small. David says, your loving kindness, O God, your mercies, your undeserved blessings, it extends beyond the heavens. Yes, surely we can experience the goodness and the mercies of God. Here's the question, have you? David understood loud and clear that there was only one good shepherd. There was only one who every season of life, through the mountains and the valleys, every step along the way, who was faithful to pour out goodness and mercies. There's only one, and that is Jesus. It's amazing how often in our life we try to find substitutes. We look for a friend, a counselor. We look for a pastor, a teacher, to be our savior. But there is only one Savior and one good shepherd, and that's Jesus. His goodness and his mercy, the Bible says, can be experienced in our lives. But the second thing we see loud and clear from this passage of Scripture is the evidence of the good shepherd's care. The evidence of the good shepherd. David does not just say, surely I experience your goodness and your mercy, Lord. He says something else that's very interesting. And frankly, when you begin to understand the height of what he's saying, it's not a very glamorous picture, but it is a powerful indication that we truly are under the good shepherd's care. It is found in the evidence of the good shepherd's care. He literally says, surely goodness and mercy will, what's the next word? Follow me all the days of my life. Now, if you remember throughout the context of the shepherd leading the sheep through the valley, the shepherd goes out before them. He goes out before leading the sheep gently into the directions they should go. He's leading them forward. But now he says something interesting. This same goodness and loving kindness that I've experienced, it actually follows me. In other words, the beauty of all the blessings that come from the Lord do not merely end with our experience. These blessings are not merely given to me, but they're to be demonstrations through me that God, the good shepherd, might be glorified. David says, literally, they follow me. In other words, when you've experienced the goodness and the mercies of God, there should be a trail, there should be a path that comes behind us that gives evidence of the care that we are receiving. Philip Keller, the former shepherd, 
and the pastor of East Africa said it this way, just as God's goodness and mercy flow to me all the days of my life, so goodness and mercy should follow me. They should be left behind me as a legacy to others wherever I may go. Here's the question. If you have experienced the goodness and mercies of God, what is the evidence through the trail, the path that you are leaving behind you? Two things stand out about this. First, we see the power of the good shepherd's care. Now, please understand, he is a good shepherd. A poor shepherd does not care about the well-being of the sheep. A poor shepherd will let the sheep roam wherever they want to go, and as a result, allow them to go into all sorts of dangerous situations where they will be completely defenseless against predators. But a poor shepherd also could care less about their provision of food. A poor shepherd can put sheep out into a pasture and let them eat. And because of the way that sheep do eat, the fact of the matter is they'll eat the grass and they'll eat the grass. They will eat it so low that they eat it all the way down to its roots. And as a result, all that's left is dirt, mud, debris, and manure. I know that's disgusting, but that's the fact. In other words, a poor shepherd will allow the sheep to get into such an unhealthy place that as they literally continue to rummage trying to find something to eat, they will ingest things that are not good for them. And as a result of that, they will get sick and they will begin to experience disease. And not only are they a danger to themselves, they're a danger to anything else that comes through the flock. That's the care of a poor shepherd. But the good shepherd has a plan for the sheep. He's got a vision for them. He's got a plan to prosper them. He's looking out for their well-being. He's looking for the future. He's preparing that future for them. He's leading them through the valley. He's taking them to the tablelands where there's an abundance of feed. He's literally providing for them every single, every single need, and he's walking with them every step of the way. That is what is in view when David says, and the goodness and the loving kindness of the good shepherd will follow me all the days of my life. In other words, he's describing a sheep that is under the care and the management of the good shepherd, and there's clear evidence that follows along the way. Now, let me illustrate that, and please understand, I'm not trying to be disgusting or make you lose your breakfast that you ate just a little while ago. As a shepherd, when you talk about sheep, we can talk about all the cute, sweet moments and life lessons, but can I just say to you that you don't bring sheep into your house. And the reason why is because they can be a messy animal at times. In other words, everywhere a sheep goes, they leave a trail behind them. Without getting into the gory details of that, that means today if I were to invite you to my house and we were to walk through my field, I would encourage you to bring old shoes because when you get out of the field, they're going to be dirty, okay? In other words, where sheep have been, they leave behind a trail to where you know they have been there. But most people don't know this about sheep. Because of a sheep's diet, a sheep will literally eat just about anything because they eat the widest varieties of grasses and of herbs and of weeds. As a result of that, when they take it in and their body processes it and literally they leave their trail behind, they literally are the most profitable animal of all of the livestock. In the ancient culture, they literally called them those of the golden hooves. And the reason why is because the trail they leave behind is the most enriching trail for all of the soil. 
It is there in the context of the trail they leave behind that there is fertility and there is fruit and there is health for those for the ground that is behind them. In other words, it is a powerful depiction to us that when you and I, the sheep in the good shepherd's care, when we know his goodness and his mercies, when we experience in our life, when it works its process in our life, guess what? It leaves behind us a blessing that enriches others. So think about it for just a moment by a series of questions. Just as the path behind the sheep are enriched by their presence, so too should be the paths that lay behind us. So the question is, is this true in our life? In our life, by our actions and our attitudes, do we leave behind a blessing or do we leave behind burdens? When people look at our life and our attitude and our actions, do they see us as a sense of peace and pleasure or do they see us as a source of pain? Maybe another way to say this is this. Do people smile when they see you coming or do they rejoice when they see you leaving? The evidence of the good shepherd's care is not found in our knowledge of him or in the proud boasting of our relationship, but in the clear proofs of our life. Philip Keller said it this way, the only real practical measure of my appreciation for the goodness and mercy to God to me is the extent to which I am in turn prepared to show goodness and mercy to others. It's easy for us on a Sunday morning to gather in a place like this, sing songs of praise, amen the preacher and say, hallelujah, I've experienced the goodness and mercy of the Lord. But here's the more sobering question. What does the evidence of your life say? Oh, I know God's word. I I know the songs. I know the preacher. I know this. I know that. But the question is, do we truly know the good shepherd? What is the evidence of his care and control in our life? 1 John chapter 3 indicates to us loud and clear that if we truly experience a relationship with the good shepherd, it's going to affect the way that we relate to one another. 1 John 3 says it this way, we know that we pass out of death into life Because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that Jesus, the good shepherd, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Think of the evidence for just a moment. Maybe the best way to consider that is to examine ourselves with a series of questions. We can think of a lot of applications for just a moment. If there's to be evidence in our life, if we've truly experienced the goodness and the mercies of the Lord, then here are the questions of evidence. First off, in your life, where you go, the people that you know, do you leave behind a trail of peace or do you leave behind a trail of problems? In your life, do you leave behind a trail of forgiveness and grace or do you leave behind a trail of resentment and bitterness? Do you leave behind a trail of contentment in the Lord or do you leave behind constant conflict? Do you leave behind a legacy of selflessness or a story of selfishness? Do you leave behind a life of service devoted to the good shepherd or do you leave behind a life that is self-serving, always wanting to be worshiped as the shepherd? Do you leave behind a path of great generosity or a path of great greed. 
David understood that we experience the goodness and the loving kindness, the mercies of God, but he also understood it's not merely something that we experience as his sheep. It is something that should be evident from our life. In other words, there should be a clear path, a clear trail, a clear understanding that because we've experienced the goodness and the mercy of the Lord, it was not just something to make me fat and happy. It was something to work through me that for the shepherd's glory and purpose would be a blessing to all who follow. Let me ask you a question. What is the evidence? Oh, I know Jesus. I've experienced. What is the evidence? The greatest evidence of our relationship with Jesus is not seen in our confident profession, but in our consistent faithful practices that demonstrate his care and control in our life. No doubt one of the most beautiful depictions of that is Galatians chapter 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is leading and controlling our life, the fruit of the Spirit, it is love and it is joy and it is peace and it is patience, it is faithfulness, it is gentleness, it is self-control and it is goodness. It's a beautiful depiction of a life that's under the care and the management, the control, the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like a field that is enriched and ready for a beautiful harvest, so too is the path we leave behind when the goodness and loving kindness of the good shepherd is evident within us. Not only do we see the power of the good shepherd's care, we see the permanence of the good shepherd's care. Surely, with absolute certainty, your goodness and your loving kindness, it will follow me on the good days. Is that what David said? On the days that I like how things turn out. No. On the days when I'm in control and everything's going exactly as I want it to go. No. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me. Here's the statement when you belong to Jesus. All the days of my life. In other words, God's goodness and his loving kindness, it is available to us to experience in every day. When, the, when life is going good, when life is going bad, when we have great news, when we have the worst news, when we are surprised with joy and when we're shocked with grief, in every single moment, his goodness and his loving kindness, it is present for us to experience. It is always abundant. It is always present. And because of that, no matter what we may face, no matter what may come our way, when we trust his goodness, when we accept his mercy, we can understand that God will work in us as we trust him to manifest his presence, his goodness, and his mercies even through our lives. Our lives are to be that living evidence of his goodness and of his mercy. Perhaps this is what the apostle Paul envisioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16 when he begins to talk about the victory that we have in Jesus no matter what we face. And then the way that Jesus manifests himself to others through us, listen to how he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Praise the Lord. And he manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to the one an aroma from death to death to the other uh, an aroma from life to life. He's literally saying that our life should exude the sweet, refreshing, joyful aroma of Jesus himself. Have you ever been into a place where you walked in and immediately you're like, man, this place smells good? Ever been there before? That's the envisionment here. When you go into your workplace, when you go into your neighborhood, 
when you have that business meeting? Christian couple, when you walk into your bedroom, your life should be the sweet, fragrant aroma of Jesus. Living out the gospel, the evidence of the goodness and mercy of the Lord. But the third thing I want you to see this morning is the excitement of the good shepherd's care. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Listen to this statement. Listen to this measure of excitement, this measure of confidence, this measure of conviction as he concludes. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? Forever. There are a lot of debate about this word house in verse 6. And frankly, this word in this verse is often very much misrepresented and misinterpreted. There are some who think this word house is a reference to the temple and literally will take that mistranslation and distort it all the way to where they would describe the actual physical church. This means you got to dwell in the church all the days of your life. Listen, I want you to know I love you, but please go home to your family sometimes. If that's what the Bible verse means, uh, we're all in trouble because... I go home to be with my family at the end of the day, okay? I had a pastor one time tell me about the importance of everybody being in church, and he was discouraged about what he was seeing in his congregation, and this was the verse he used as evidence. And I thought, brother, I love you, but that is not what that Bible verse means. There are, in fact, if, by the way, I just want to clarify in that context, if it actually meant that, why is it that David wanted to build a house for the Lord, and the Lord said to you, David, you can't do it, but I'm going to raise up your son to build me a house not what David's talking about here. There are some who will say, well, this house must be then a reference to heaven, that one day this whole world's going to be over and it's all going to be behind us and we're just going to be in heaven for all of eternity. All of life's going to be grand and glorious. That's what we're looking for. And that is in part what it means. But that is not all that it means. The word house here literally is just a description of where God resides, where God dwells. Where is his presence? Many times we have the idea that God is way up in heaven. He's watching us from a distance. He's way off in there, and one day we're going to be with him. But the reality is, that's not what David said. In fact, in Psalm 139, David said loud and clear, there's not a single place he can go, and there's not a place on heaven or, on, or below, the, below the earth. There's not a single place he can go that the presence of God is not dwelling in fact, David said it this way in Psalm 27, one thing I have asked from the Lord and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. David is in this moment is ultimately describing the sense of closeness and the sense of fondness, the sense of relationship and in the very presence of the good shepherd. Now let me illustrate that for just a moment. Psalm 23 verses one through three, we've seen all these descriptions about the shepherd. But in verse 4, David begins to describe for us this journey of the sheep. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. David is envisioning the shepherd. He's had the sheep at the ranch, but now the springtime is here, and the grass is beginning to grow, and the flowers are beginning to bloom. And so the shepherd knows it's time to lead them away. He leads them out into the valley where he provides water and the rich feed, and then he leads them through the valley. They begin to make their way at the gentle grades of land. And then verse 5 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. He's literally envisioning the shepherd who's now taking the sheep to the table land. It's the summertime. They're feeding from field to field, from table land to table land, getting all the abundance and all the provision that they need. But now, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Why is he talking about following? He's talking about this because he's envisioning the journey coming to a close. Summer season's over. Thank God it's hot. Cold weather's coming in. Winter's drawing near. And the shepherd is now leading the sheep. He's turning them back towards home. And he's leading them home. And literally, as David is envisioning the sheep, that what they're doing is they're drawing close to the shepherd. They're drawing close to the shepherd, knowing that he's leading them to their final place. And so basically what David is envisioning is this. When he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, here's what he's saying. He's saying, Lord, Lord, you're my shepherd, and I'm going to stay close to you, and I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to recognize your presence. I'm going to meditate on you, knowing that one day you're going to lead me home. But even when I get there, you've already prepared a place. And even when I get there, you've already gone before me. And even when I get there, you're going to be there with me. And nothing will ever separate me from you. He's referring to the overwhelming joy that he has in the presence of the shepherd. So even as he journeys home, this house, this place of peace, this place of beauty, this place of warmth, this place of comfort, it is simply the comfort of being there with the shepherd knowing that he's going to lead me home, he's always going to be with me, and I'll never be separated from him. Charles Spurgeon, perhaps the preacher of old, said it much better than me. Here's what he said. While I am here, I will be a child alone with my God. The whole world will be his house to me. And when I ascend into the upper chamber, I shall not change my company nor even change the house. I shall only go to dwell in the upper story of the house of the Lord forever. It is this constant abiding presence of the good shepherd that perhaps Paul had in mind when he penned these words. See, I want you to see that the house is not just what we experience when all this mess in the world is over. It's what we experience even as we walk through it, if you know Jesus. Paul says it this way. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Well, tribulation or distresses? How about persecution or, or famine or nakedness or peril or even the sword? Interesting analogy. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Listen, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what he's saying? David is literally an old man and he's looking back over his life and he's recognizing in the good and the bad, in the sorrow, in the suffering, in the celebration, even as he walked through the just consequences of his own sin, he's looking back and he's like, my goodness, Lord, you've been so good to me. Your loving kindness has been so present. And Lord, as I've walked with you, I look back over my life now and I see the evidence that you've been leading the trail behind me as people are walking in that and they're experiencing your grace and mercy as well. 
And Lord, as I look to you, I'm just so content in your care. I know you're with me. I know you're leading me home. And even when I face the chill of winter, even though death may come, even though I'm uncertain of all the details of how it's going to unfold, I know that you're with me and nothing will ever change that. That's what he's envisioning. He's envisioning a good shepherd who's already not only with him, but he's gone before him. He's prepared a place and he'll always be in his presence. Here's the question. Jesus is indeed the good shepherd. The question is, is he yours? Do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior and shepherd? Are you following him? Let me close with this illustration as Jake comes out to play. Early 1800s in England, there was a great actor who one day came to a theater to perform. This was long before the days of television and internet and all the fancy gadgets we have today. This guy was skilled with various oratory skills to where he could quote and he could recite and he could dramatize just about anything. Tickets were sold, the crowd showed up, and there in a full house of a theater, he began to quote various poems, and he began to act out various scenes, and people were wowed by this guy. But on this particular night, he decided to do something a little different. When the time came near to the end of his performance, he asked the crowd to get involved by giving selections, recommendations. They could call out any poem or any, anything for that matter, any hymn, any pastor scripture, anything. Would you give it to me and I'll recite it? And he began to recite exactly what the crowd had chosen. And finally, as he did this, there was an older man in the back who raised his hand and the actor acknowledged him. And he said, yes, sir. And he said, sir, you are so skilled and your articulation is beautiful. Would you quote for me the 23rd Psalm? It would be such a blessing to hear you recite and dramatize the 23rd Psalm. And the actor thought for a moment. He said, yes, I'll be glad to in one condition that after I quote it, you come up on stage and you recite it as well. The old man agreed. The actor took the stage, of course, and he began to quote the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters and his skill and his oratory, his voice inflection, the drama, all of it was incredible. When he came to the end, immediately everyone stood to their feet. There was applause, there was cheering, there was shouting. Everyone was moved by the skill of this man. Finally, people were seated and as agreed upon, the old man got up and slowly made his way to the stage. And he didn't have the skill and his articulation was not very good and he just began to speak from the heart. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though sometimes I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because the Lord, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You, you even prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You, you anoint my head with oil. My, my cup is overflowing. Surely, Lord, your goodness and your mercy, they're with me and they're following me all the days of my life. And I'm at peace because I know I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. man finished quoting the 23rd Psalm there was no applause no standing ovation there were people wiping eyes and people bowing their head in prayer finally the actor spoke up and he said you know folks to me tonight it's clear that there's a very distinct difference between me and the old man difference is this. I know the 23rd Psalm, but the old man, he knows the shepherd. You know, today we finish the journey through the 23rd Psalm, and we know it. We've listened. I hope you've learned. But the greater question is not, do you know the pastor's scripture? greater question is, do you know Jesus, the good shepherd, as your personal Lord and Savior? Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.